Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You are now listening to... Pat's Pulpit Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. I am Alex Shane here with Rich Hill, breaking down all things Patriots in the week that was in the NFL. Week 15 is in the books and the Patriots have dropped the second straight game in December for the first time since 2002, Rich Hill. This never Ooh. happens. What's going on? Uh, does anyone have an idea? Uh, are the Patriots just not good anymore? Is this ultimately the demise of the New England Patriots era? Is it finally upon us? Everything that people have been claiming and clamoring for since probably 2008. Is the Patriots dynasty over? Do we just witness the end of it, Alec? That's what I need to know. Yeah, I mean, if this team shambles their way to an 11-5 and finish and an oh, AFC East crown, it's just disgusting. It's embarrassing. Burn it all to the ground, Rich. Look, <laughs> at the end of the day, man, I feel like you and I talked about this back in the summer almost in our kind of preseason, pre-game previews, and we're just kind of breaking down the schedule. Week 14 and 15 at Miami, at Pittsburgh, two places that are just brutal to go back-to-back. The Patriots dropped one in Miami. They probably should have won that game. Some nonsense happened. Patriots versus Steelers, they just stunk, and we'll get into that in a minute. But before we get into that shellacking or embarrassment of the game, whatever you want to call it, Hansen. let's talk about this. Let's talk about this week that that, that was in the NFL because everything once again kind of shook New England's way. The Chargers beat the Chiefs, the Vikings beat the Dolphins, the Texans needed some last late quarter heroics to beat the Jets. It all seemed to be falling in place for the Patriots to usurp the Chiefs in the AFC, and then. Yeah, no, I mean, it was just super disappointing because we had so much time building up to this specific game to have it all just pulled away from us. You know, it was Lucy pulling away the football for a second straight week. And so the Chargers, they came back, they beat the Chiefs. That was incredible. Uh, Really happy for Phillip Rivers finally getting his due. I know that he had two interceptions in that game, but he's having himself a career year at this stage. They have so many Williams on that team. Uh, they have, what, three touchdowns from their, their Williams, so good for them. <laughs> a lot of confusion over there. The Chiefs, maybe they're not as good anymore. Uh, I mean, clearly because Kareem Hunt isn't available, but, you know, that's just how it is for Kansas City. I don't know if they are the same threat as they were in the past. Their defense is really bad. Kendall Fuller they're one of their starting cornerbacks, has a wrist injury, is going to miss time. So this Chiefs defense, which was already weak, is even weaker. 
They look super vulnerable. The Chargers, I don't think anyone's afraid of going on the road to play in Los Angeles. It was there for the taking, Alec. It was there for the Patriots, and they just couldn't get it done. You know, I think we should have known something was up when the Browns beat the Broncos in Denver. That was kind of threw the whole week out of whack. Oh, thanks. I don't know, man. Yeah. It's just that I don't know, man. I I feel like I talked about this in an article, and you and I had a conversation about this, and how the Patriots responded to that Miami miracle, that ridiculous lateral play that cost them the AFC East, really defined what kind of team this was mentally, the kind of toughness they had. If they could bounce back, put it behind them, go to Pittsburgh, have a statement win on the road against a good team that would really bode well for the final weeks of the season, into the postseason, set them up nicely for at least a first-round bye, and... I think that was the most boring game I've seen them play in a very long time. And I noticed about – I was writing my article after the game was over, and the only offensive play I could recall the entire game was the the lone touchdown pass, 63-yarder to Chris Hogan. Other than that, it was just questionable play calling, no spark, no drive, no fire. And the Steelers didn't look that good either. It's not like they played super well. It was just two teams kind of trying to give each other the game away, and the Patriots did a better job of stinking, I guess. Yeah, I mean that – Hogan touchdown came eight minutes into the game and there was nothing to write home about after that and what was so disappointing for me and maybe we can start by breaking down the Patriots offense a little bit is that Tom Brady seemed super accurate for most of the day until the fourth quarter which for it didn't seem like any good reason he started to panic and you could tell when Brady is thrown off of his back foot he's feeling the pressure or something like that Usually that's because he's been hit multiple times throughout the game. That wasn't really happening. He had so much time in the pocket. He was very accurate with his receiver. Sure, Edelman had a few costly drops. So did James White. But he was hitting his receivers, and then all of a sudden it just felt like everything just couldn't work for Tom Brady. Like he was just throwing off his back foot. That interception inside the red zone was devastating. He's liable for that Every single year, he's had it more times this year than in previous years where he's just making a dumb decision at a crucial point of the game and giving the ball away. Can't have that. When you're watching the Patriots offense, Alec, is there any way that they can fix this over the final two weeks of the season? Yeah, it's funny, man, because I feel like the Patriots of 2018 have yet to put together a complete game. There are games where the offense looks great and the defense struggles, or the defense struggles and the offense looks good, or the offensive defense both look good and the special teams giving up big plays. They just can't seem to put a complete game together, and I think that really feeds off each unit. When the special teams isn't doing well, it kind of brings down the defense. When the defense isn't doing well, it brings down the offense. And I'm going to actually go back. Even though you're absolutely right, Brady had time. He wasn't hit that much. He wasn't under duress that much. I don't think the offensive line did a very good job against the Steelers. I don't think they won the pass protection battle. They collapsed the pocket a little too easily. Brady was hearing footsteps when he had no business hearing footsteps. There were some false starts that were inexcusable. There were a few holding penalties, questionable and otherwise, that stalled drives at crucial times. I think the offensive line gets the dud game ball for this week because not only could they not open up the running game, which meant the play action wasn't as effective because there was no running whatsoever, but there were times when I thought that there were some good plays that were taken back because of whatever happened, and I don't think they were really ever allowing Brady time to settle. And by the time they had a chance to drive down and and, and tie it with a, with a touchdown, I don't think that Brady had any confidence in his ability to throw the ball well, and that might have been it. But however, that said, do not want to take blame away from Tom Brady because, as you mentioned, that red zone interception was completely inexcusable. Triple coverage. 
bad throw. No reason for that. And you're right. That's happened a couple times this season. He's usually good for about one a year. We'll give them a pass, but it's been like two or three of those, and it makes you a little worried. It does. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, going back to your offensive line thing, it's never a good situation when you're getting those pre-snap penalties or those false starts or the holdings. That sets you up for first and 15, first and 20, because you're not going to come back from that on a consistent level. Sure, you might do it every now and then, but if it happens repeatedly, your offense is going to stall. And so when Trent Brown and Marcus Cannon are really struggling on the edge, they're setting the Patriots back on multiple occasions, you're not going to have a good game. And you're right. They, they were getting everything handed to them. So is Brady. I, I don't think that there was necessarily pressure, but he was just making poor decisions, even though certain players were open. And so, Alec, my question for you, uh, James White has seemingly vanished from the Patriots offense as of late. He had like 37 yards past or last or this week. And then I was something like 35 the week before he hasn't really been present, even though he's the team's leader in yards from scrimmage. You have Sony Michelle who has 815 yards from scrimmage, but for whatever reason, the Patriots are treating him like they were treating LeGarrette Blunt, and they're not really giving him an opportunity to be a receiver, even though he's had a lot of success there in the past. So when Sonny Michelle's on the field, teams know, all right, I'm just going to stack the box and stop the run, and they've been having a little bit more success with that. Edelman, Gordon, Gronkowski, they're all between 650 and 800 yards on the year. They're fine. I mean, my big issue, I guess... When you have all of these players on offense, there's undeniable talent. They're just not putting it all together. And each player individually is still doing well. Even Gronkowski, who's no longer an all-pro, he's still an above-average tight end. So what is the problem with this Patriots offense, and why hasn't it all come together at this point? Because I haven't even mentioned Chris Hogan and Cordell Patterson, and there's just so many weapons, and it's just not working. Yeah, you know, it's almost, you know, it's there, there's a cohesiveness and there's a unity and there's just the way that teams click that just works and they're all on the same page and they like each other and they get along. I, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I don't want to start any kind of the pages are in turmoil rumor. We'll get plenty of that in the offseason. No point talking about that now. But they're just not cohesive as a unit. There's there's 11 good players on the Patriots, and there's not really a, a team on either side of the ball. And I don't know why that is. It, it's very weird. Usually they start to gel around mid to late November. They're firing on all cylinders come December. But they're still just a bunch of guys. And I wonder, I mean, I, I don't want to, again, point fingers and make accusations, but I've really called the play calling of Josh McDaniels into question the past couple of weeks throwing screen passes on third and long, having Josh Gordon on the sidelines on third and 15, throwing it to Cordero Patterson, Xing James White almost out of the playbook altogether. I'm not sure if that's a, a design play or Brady's not looking his way, but James White, as you mentioned, has been a ghost. If you go back, look at the All-22 on third and 15 inside the 30. White was wide open, could have gotten at least 11, 12 yards, sets up fourth and four, much more manageable. I'm really concerned about the play calling. Some people are saying that McDaniels is having some himself an audition for the Packers job. I don't buy that for a second. I just don't understand some of the decisions they make in, in crucial downs, these just weird play calls. And maybe it's 
scenario where nobody really trusts anybody else and they're still trying to throw these plays out there that they think are going to work and just aren't and look man it's week week what 16 now it's not getting any better at this point it is what it is yeah seriously and going back what you said about not having that same creative offense as we've seen in years past other than Cordero Patterson who was only put at running back out of necessity can you think of anything that this Patriots offense has done at any point this year where you're like, oh, wow, that was innovative? Or, yeah, they're changing the way that it's done. I, I don't want to say that the game has passed Josh McDaniels. I think that's a ridiculous comment to make. But as you watch other offensive coaches like Kyle Shanahan or Sean McVay put together these game plans, we'll throw in Matt Nagy over at the Chicago Bears, Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs. You're seeing all of this progress that is being made by these other teams, putting players in position to succeed, trying to take advantage and stressing defenses at every possible place. I'm not seeing that from this Patriots offense. James White, you're dumping the ball off to him. That's your whole strategy there. Sony Michelle, you're running him. He's doing a great job getting five to seven yards at a clip. That's it, though. He's running the ball. Julian Edelman, he's doing the same thing he's always done out of the slot. Josh Gordon, you're having him on these quick slant routes. Maybe you're throwing a deep go route. Maybe a post. It's a very, very simple offensive game plan that teams are going to say, you know what, I can figure this out. There's only so many routes that they're going to have Josh Gordon run where they're going to give him a target, so we can defend those. Gronkowski is not the same player. We can cover him with a linebacker now. I don't see the the necessary creativity in the play calling with the, the play design that will allow Tom Brady to A, get the ball quickly to the receivers so there's no time for the pressure to get home, B, get these receivers open quickly so there's not a defender nearby so they can get yards after the catch, and C, scripting it so the opposing team doesn't know what's coming because honestly... You, you could tell what was happening. You could see what was happening during this game against the Steelers where, okay, you're going to run the ball a few times with Sony Michelle up the middle because, hey, there's going to be a play-action pass. And sure, it worked a couple times, but not consistently because everyone knew it was going to happen. And so they need to change it up a little bit. I want to see, and we've talked about this in previous years, I want to see them using Sony Michelle as a receiver. I want them to open up the playbook with Josh Gordon. I want to see something that could spring Gronkowski because honestly, every time he touches the ball, I'm afraid his body is going to explode into a million pieces. They need to do something just to get the players open because it's not happening with any regularity. And we're seeing probably one of the, the least impressive Patriots offenses of the past decade. No, no, it's true. You know, this is probably the weakest offense since 2009 when they were straight up rebuilding. That's just the way it is. And again, like that's okay. Like they're allowed to have down years. But as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, it doesn't really make any sense if you look at the talent on the team. And as I, I keep going back to this, I feel like you're creative and you run those trick plays. You do that kind of wild stuff when you're running on all cylinders and you, you have the playbook down so down pat. You know it forwards, backwards, and inside out. You can run those crazy plays because everyone is communicating and on the same page. They're not on the same page. And so they have to simplify the playbook to make sure everyone runs the same play. That's all it can really be. You know, on the plus side, though, at least the Patriots can't stop the run to save their life. So we got that going for them. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that Patriots defense that, oh, my gosh, Jalen Samuels, who was 
a fullback slash tight end in college. 19 carries, 142 yards, 7.5 yards per carry. Three straight weeks where the Patriots can't stop a nosebleed. Three straight weeks where Danny Shelton is a healthy scratch. Opposing teams have averaged, I believe, something like 7.64 yards per carry against the Patriots over the past three weeks. According to Zach, Zach Cox of Nesson, that is the worst mark in franchise history over a span of three games and the fourth worst mark in NFL history. What is going on with this Patriots run defense? I have no idea. I don't know what Danny Shelton did to get in the doghouse like this. I don't want to sit here and say, bring Danny Shelton back, your problems are all solved. It's not like that. I'm sure there's good reason to bench him. But I don't understand why opponents even throw the ball. Like, I'd just i pull a Baltimore Ravens 0-9 wildcard playoff and just run the ball every single time because the Patriots cannot stop the run. They have have good talent on the interior. I don't know what happened to Malcolm Brown, Rich Hill. He's just a a non-factor this season. I'd be amazed if he came back next year. Lawrence Guy is great, but he also disappears for stretches. I guess it goes back to my point about offensive consistency. There's no defensive consistency. I think the front seven is a real liability for this team, which is too bad because I feel like the secondary is very solid. J.C. Jackson has been a godsend. Stephon Gilmore is probably the best player on the team right now. Devin McCourty and Deron Harmon are a very good safety duo. The secondary is solid. They're getting coverage sacks. Kyle Van Noy is good for a couple good plays a game. Trey, Trey Flowers is their best pass rusher, but there isn't really a cohesive seven guys up there that can stop the run at all, that can get pressure at all, that can extend the play beyond the run of scrimmage. They, they just can't do anything they need to do, and it's just so weird that a Belichick-run defense is so weak in this position because they're always talking about pass rush, and this has plagued this team in all the down years they've had, Rich. I always feel like, where's the pass rush? Why can't they stop the run? This is not a new occurrence to the Patriots, fortunately. Yeah, no, totally. And the, as you said, this secondary is playing lights out. They've been outstanding, and teams shouldn't pass the ball. This is such a good team that they're deep in the secondary. They can cover any mix of players. They've held the two best receiver duos in the entire league. We're talking about Minnesota Vikings, Adam Thalen and Stephon Diggs, and then the Steelers with Juju Smith-Schuster and Antonio Brown. They limited both of them to under 100 yards combined. So the secondary can match up against anyone. They can't defend a third-string running back. And the big problem in my mind, yeah, is all the way up the middle. Lawrence Guy is great. He can't do everything. The opposing teams have figured out, all right, Adam Butler's on the field. We're going to target him. We're going to run the ball at him because he's undersized. He's, what, 70 pounds lighter than Danny Shelton. Of course it's going to be easier to run in his direction. But beyond the weakness on the interior, because, you know, as you said, Malcolm Brown has also been a ghost this year, I think the play of the linebacker is the biggest concern for New England. First off, Kyle Van Noy, great player. I think he fits what the Patriots like to do at linebacker very well. He's not an exceptional player. He's a very good player. He's a good role player in a good defense. But when he's your best linebacker, that means you're struggling on the depth chart. Because Dante Hightower is not as good as he used to be. I mean, he if we talk a lot about how Rob Gronkowski is not looking the same on offense, same with Dante Hightower on defense. I can't recall. I know that he had a sack against the Dolphins. He's not been that same reliable force on the defensive side of the ball. Alandon Roberts was dealing with an injury, so he couldn't do much. 
there isn't that necessary depth at linebacker on defense, and it's not new. We, sh- we should have seen this coming, slash we totally did see this coming when the Patriots didn't address the linebacker position this offseason, despite that being the most glaring need on the entire roster since they traded away Jamie Collins. They just have no great defense without a great linebacker, and that's how it's always been with Bill Belichick and his defense, is that you're only as good as your linebackers, and they are mediocre to bad at linebacker, and therefore the defense... It's pretty lackluster, even though even though they did a good job against the Steelers from a secondary standpoint, they couldn't do anything up front. Yeah, it's weird, too, man, because I feel like Dante Hightower was struggling early in the season as he shook off some rust. And then like week like four or five, he just came back and he was all over the field. He was fast. He was aggressive. He was hitting hard. He was a downhill player. Like, thank goodness Hightower is back on the horse. And then now he's kind of falling off the horse again. It's like he's riding down a path and a tree hit him or something. I don't know what it is. I'm totally with you. I, I don't. There's a couple of plays actually where Ben Roethlisberger rolled out to his right and Hightower was leap year behind him. He should not be able to get outrun by Ben Roethlisberger. He should, he should be a fast down the hill linebacker. And I, I don't know, man. I, I think that. There's just something going on here that they're just not the one thing that you can always say about the good Patriots teams, even the scrappy ones. They always had a mental toughness and a, a they, had, they had teeth. They had a fire about them. They weren't always the most talented guys, but they made up for it with effort and heart. And they all bought into the system. Maybe this is just one of those 2009 years where Belichick can't get them to play the way he needs them to play. They don't have that mental toughness and they're just kind of playing out the string. Yeah, I mean, Belichick was even on the radio today talking about how he feels he wants to draw a difference between this year and the years in the past, specifically 2009, because he's like, this team is mentally tough, even though they can't seem to win on the road, which is the same problem that the 2009 Patriots had. And I guess my question is, when you think of the good Patriots defenses, there's always been some sort of a swagger to it, right? Whether you got Richard Seymour, Rodney Harrison, Mike Vrabel, Teddy Bruschi, you have a lot of attitude up front throwing Vince Wilfork there. Go to 2014, you got Darrell Rivas, Brandon Browner. This, this defensive front is great and stout, highly active. Who is the vocal leader of the Patriots defense from that attitude standpoint? And I don't know if it's necessarily to say that you need to have a lot of those, like, you know, run through a brick wall kind of a player, but maybe a little bit, right? Because you have a bunch of players that are leading by example, and that's great and all. I just don't see the necessary passion that the great defenses seem to feature because you got a lot of people who keep their heads down, do their work. And maybe you need to have that one player that's willing to run through that brick wall to inspire the other players or get in their face when they're not playing well, because I'm just not seeing other players step up to the occasion. No, I mean, every sights and sounds of the game, you always see Devin McCourty leading the the pregame speech. So I guess he's the guy, but McCourty's never been the guy in terms of the, the get you fired up. And, and he's the guy that you're going to rely on when when you need someone taken out. You know, you need like a guy like a Rodney Harrison or a Brandon Brown or just one of those kind of statement, a Logan, the Logan Mankins of, of the defense, so to speak. I, I, you're right. They don't have one of those. They're a bunch of good players. Like I said earlier in the podcast, they're a bunch of good players. They're not really a unit. And... 
when a good team that needs it, the Steelers really, that was a must-win game for Pittsburgh. If they had lost that game, they'd have dropped to the eighth seed and out of playoff picture altogether. They needed it more than the Patriots did. And there were so many times when, actually, again, the defense played pretty well. They had two interceptions. They, they only gave up 17 points to a very good offense. There just isn't a... You know, there were so many times it was like third and six, and they needed to stop to get the Patriots the ball back, or the chance to touchdown to, tie, to, to win it, and they gave up an 18-yard run. You know, they just – whenever there's a, a big play where you need a stop, they're not going to make it, and there's not that one guy anymore. But at the end of the day, Rich, look, they're still 9-5. and five. They have two home games coming up against the Bills and the Jets, two terrible teams. If they don't win those two games, they don't deserve to be in the playoffs anyway. And only in Patriots Nation is a late season loss on the road to a division leader such a travesty. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. And like when an eleven and five season is the worst thing that's happened to the team in a decade, <laughs> you're yeah. fine. You are in yeah. a good spot because still the fact that they lost to the Steelers has that changed your outlook at all on this year for the Patriots? We knew that they weren't as great of a team pretty much through four weeks we knew that and like it felt different when they lost to the lions than it did in previous years when the offense kind of faltered a bit and then this team i mean are they going to beat the chiefs on the road probably not were they going to beat the chiefs on the road if they had you know if you asked that question two weeks ago I still would have said probably not, regardless of what happened in this Dolphins and Steelers game. So I don't, I don't think that the fact that the Patriots lost these two games will change too much on my outlook on this team. It just means that the road through the playoffs is probably going to be more difficult because they're going to be likely the number three seed. And we'll break all this down on our Thursday podcast. But Patriots have two more weeks. Maybe they have a chance to get back into that bye week position. But for right now, they're in the number three spot. And, you know... If you're the third best team in the, the AFC, it's not a bad year. It is not a bad year, and that's good perspective to have. No, for sure. And I think right now they are the third best team in the AFC. I think the Chiefs are playing better than they are, despite the fact that they're not really good defensively. And the Texans are playing better than they are, despite the fact they needed some late-game heroics to beat the Jets. Uh, that, those are That's a defense in Houston I take over the Patriots any day of the week. And often in KC, I take over the Patriots any day of the week. So I think they're right where they need to be. They're right where they deserve to be. Yeah. Absolutely, and I, I throw the Chargers in there as well, but, I mean, Patriots are in that mix at the top. Anything can happen once they're in the postseason. I'm not going to root against Tom Brady and company to, for making some noise in the postseason. We will break this down in our Week 16 preview on Thursday, but until then, Alex, do you have any final thoughts on Week 15? Thank goodness no more road games this year, man. Woo! Oh, I am so excited. And until next time, man, maybe that'll be in the postseason. Maybe we'll get some primetime games in the postseason. Both of the next two games are at 1 p.m., which I'm pretty excited about. Until we come back yeah. together next time, Alec, you have a good one. You too, buddy. Later, man.
Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Neil Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.